Hi everyone, I'm Jennifer, the host of Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai, where we're going to talk about the Japanese concept of Ikigai or living a life of purpose. Here you're going to hear inspirational stories from all different types of people who are finding their own life of purpose. You're going to hear about how they found their Ikigai and what they do every day to live an integrated life. So without further ado, let's dive right in. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, welcome wherever you are listening in or watching. Uh, Jennifer Shinkai, Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai and today's special guest. Very, very happy to have the multiple award-winning social legend that is Robin Lewis, who's looking like very embarrassed from this introduction. So Robin has over 10 years of experience working in social impact and sustainable development. He's like, how many times have I heard this introduction? Um, and you can read all of this. But what I love about what Robin is doing at my Mizu, um, which he's drinking, he's just told me this is, can you show me your limited edition sustainable cup? I have my rather battered, oh, you can't see, Spartan race cup with a sticker on. I think that's very sustainable. Look at that. Spartan races, miss them. Um, what they're doing at, at my Mizu is less plastic, more fun, which is just a great approach to sustainability. A lot of the rhetoric is like very negative and it's all got to be boring. And when I heard about your story, Robin, as we talked about before, what I was really impressed was how you changed this moment of awareness. Like there's something that the world needs. There's a big problem going on and then you moved it to action. So I know that you have told this story many, many times. And it's probably um, very well rehearsed for you, but I would love you to share with the listeners of Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai, just a little bit about this story that brought you to where you are now and how that connects with your Ikigai. Well, first of all, I wanna say thank you so much for having me on the show. It's really, I'm a massive fan of your work and it's great just to be, to be chatting with you about, about Ikigai, which I know you're so passionate about and about all kinds of other things. Um, my story begins in, in Japan, actually. I was born here uh, in Japan in the uh, late 80s. And uh, my, <laughs> my, my mother is Japanese and my father is from the UK. And um, you know, I kind of grew up between the two countries and nothing really remarkable happened in my life uh, until actually university. And, and this is kind of one of the big um, changes that I had in my trajectory. But I, I was studying business and um, I always say that studying business made me really hate business because everything <laughs> that we learned about was about profit maximization. It was about how to make as much money as possible and externalize all of the costs, right? That was the, the thing that we kept hearing. And, and um, I just remember thinking, surely there must be more to, to business, to, to life, to, to somehow integrate this with uh, bettering society. So I always had this dilemma in my mind. And then just as I was having this, this big kind of identity crisis, the 2011 tsunami happened in Japan. And that was a very, again, a very big turning point because my mother's family is originally from uh, that area. So I came back and uh, that was the beginning of an entirely new journey in, in human humanitarian work and social impact and so on. Um, just to fast in terms of how my Mizu started, um, I was actually kind of with this background in humanitarian affairs and, and these kinds of things. Uh, I was on a holiday in Okinawa, which is 
you know, a very cliche thing. I just quit my job actually, and I was just trying to kind of do a bit of soul searching. And uh, one morning I was walking along the beach uh, in Okinawa and, and I came across this huge pile of uh, rubbish that drifted into the ocean. Um, and I'm sure many of you and your listeners have already seen these kinds of, of scenes, but you know, you can imagine the fishing gear, the, the flip-flops, the, the deodorant cans, all kinds of stuff. But well, there's stuff. one thing that really stood out more than other. Yeah, all the good stuff, right? But um, there's one thing that stood out most, and it was pet bottles. It was just mm. that, a whole like, a whole ton of these things just strewn across the um, the beach. And, and it just struck me that this is so ironic that we live in a country that uh, is surrounded by drinkable water, um, which is very safe and healthy. And yet the we create so many of these plastic bottles that end up in our natural environment. So I thought, well, surely we can do better than this. And that was the beginning of, of my little journey. Nice. How did that kind of work out practically? Because so I, so I understand that at the time, you know, you'd, you'd quit your job. And so you had you had space, right? Yeah, to, had space. you had space Important. to play for, <laughs> for options. Yeah. But, you know, many people yeah. have that like, oh, you know, this is a problem. Somebody should sort this out or, you know, and they get kind of keyboard warriors and we we post things and we click stuff and we have a good rant on social media, but not many people then actually move it to action. So do you remember or can you think back and what, what were those moments that made you go, okay, move from somebody should do something to I am now doing this? That, that's a really good question. And, and honestly, I mean, the reason I gave a bit of information on my background is that I, I guess I've been doing quite unique and weird things my entire career. So um, I've, I, by that time, I'd already started my own uh, nonprofit organization. I'd already um, started various projects. And so the idea of starting something wasn't that new. Um, but that being said, it doesn't make it easy. Right? I mean, there's all kinds of risks, whether it's financial, personal, reputational, whatever. Yeah. Um, and so there was definitely a lot of fear when uh, I took the, the decision to take this plunge and go all in. Um, right. And that meant cutting all other, you know, all other jo um, job related things, all other commitments and just going 100% into this, uh, this thing that became my museum. Um, I mm. should say off the bat that it wasn't just me, it was also my, my co-founder Mariko as well. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was pretty tough. Um, but ultimately we knew that there would be a better, there must be a better solution. And that, right. you know, if no one else switched, then surely yeah. someone's going to do it. Let's, let's give it a go and see what happens. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't remember really like having that many, um, you know, kind of aha moments or anything. It just kind of happened and it was driven by this, this need for action. Right. And it, and it sounds like I'm trying to remember who the person it was that said this to me. It was an entrepreneur and it was the event I was doing at the ACCJ. And so I will go and find through my notes and put it in the show notes who this guy was. And I remember that he said, fall in love with the problem, not the solution. And it sounds a little bit about what happened for you with, with this. Mm -hmm. does, does that resonate? Yeah, it, it does because the thing about plastic waste is that it's it's actually the tip of an iceberg. You know, we're, mm. we're, we're currently facing a number of existential problems as as, as a species, right? But it's climate yeah. change with the current pandemic. We are in just a whole of, of troubles right now. 
Um, but the thing I like about plastic is that it's so tangible. Like when we talk about CO2 emissions uh, right sea level, it's, it's all so kind of big and, and almost yeah. too large to mm. really grip. Whereas when you talk about plastic, it's like, okay, I get it, right. Everyone knows what a plastic bottle is. Um, and it, it becomes the kind of the gateway to other actions. So our goal is not just to reduce pet bottles, it's to use the pet bottle as a conversation starter and, and really shift consumer behavior in a wider um, way. So I, for me, it's, it's, I guess it's the, the way that you can visualize and see the yeah. plastic that, that makes it such a, a compelling problem to try and tackle. So it's like the, the gateway drug to social impact. Honestly, that's, that's what I say. I, I think it's like <laughs> the perfect gateway drug to sustainable living is starting right. with the plastic bottle because it's the easiest thing that anyone can do. And so you mentioned um, your lovely co-founder, Mariko, uh, Mariko McTeer. And, and, and how did that sort of come about that you decided, like, let's do this together? Like, how, how special it is to find someone that, you know, you, you share this ikigai, you share this vision. So what were those conversations like well, about, like, yeah, let's do it? I love, I love your smile, so I'm really interested to hear. No, I think she would have a very... Um, account than I do. <laughs> but I will, maybe I'll, I, I I'll interview her another time. <laughs> you have to interview her. Yeah. What I'd say is that we have very um, similar interests, similar backgrounds. We're both half British, half Japanese. Um, we both have, we really care about sustainability and these things, um, but we have very different skill sets. Um, mm. I guess objectively, I I'm quite good at um, starting things and making lots of noise and making lots of mess. Uh, and Mariko is really good at like organizing things and, and leading people and this kind of thing. So we, we have very complementary skill sets. Um, but in terms of how it began, I, I think it was just really a natural process. We thought, okay, well, there is a clear problem. That we have already identified a clear solution. Now let's get to planning. What's what's the A, B, C, D? What, how do we get from, from zero to 100 within you know six months, whatever it was? Um, so we were very quick to implement. There wasn't that much time in planning, um, which was one of the things that I think helped was growing very quickly it's just the fact that we we're very action oriented um, right. and we didn't spend too long you know on the nitty-gritty details oh that's awesome because one of the things that um ken moggy talks about uh regarding ikigai is the idea of starting small mm. yeah and so not going with this whole whole idea of uh, a totally changed life or a perfect product or whatever this perfect um purpose would be and just starting something and see what happens mm. and it sounds like I that's, completely agree. Yeah. yeah that's how it worked for you because I, I know a lot of people get really um kind of let's say focused on on the details and that's that's obviously in many situations but i think if you're trying to start something new then it it just it pays off just to do something and then just see what happens i mean mm. if it doesn't work just pivot just shift um right. but i think the first step is so it's so critical yeah and that's a little bit like uh your location where you are today right you moved to Nagano? Yes. For a bit? <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> and then pivot. It's, yeah. Currently in, in, uh, in Hakuba, the Hakuba. Mm. And uh, I guess this very much links to the, the topic of, of Ikigai, but when you go so passionately in something, it can often overtake your life, like for better right. or for worse. And, and for me, um, having worked with social and environmental issues for 10, over 10 years now, mm. this is longer than I, I remember. 
um, it's really easy to just get completely sucked into this thing and, and kind of give it 100%. And then you forget about your personal health, you forget about your friends, your, your work-life balance and so on. So um, part of this move to Huckabout was uh, essentially to, to reconfigure um, a balance. And that, meant, that means going out, you know, snowboarding for two, two hours a day and then coming back and working um, however many hours a day and trying to really balance things out uh, mm. for both mental and physical Oh, that's, that's, really, that's really and interesting. Love. And you just love snow. <laughs> yeah, and, it's a great year this year. There's so much snow. <laughs> yeah, and not many, uh, not many tourists. No inbound tourism. So uh, the powder stays powder. Exactly. So yeah, got and great that you can be supporting the local economy as well, right? So I think people are really struggling exactly. in that. But I, I appreciate yeah. what you said then about. You know, sometimes when you have this very strong purpose, this very strong reason, you know, reason for living, reason for being ikigai can be, you know, about like raising your family. It can be about, you know, a hobby or a different kind of activity that you're doing. But it sounds like, you know, the type of projects that you're working on and you can sometimes feel the weight of that. So I, yeah. I really respect that you have gone, OK, hang on. Like my life is not just about this actually. And I, I need to readdress that balance. But I, I should also be very transparent and honest. I mean, it's, it's been a struggle. I, I've had times where I've had physical health problems because right. everything I do is hundred um, percent mm. related to the mission, whatever it is. Right. And so um, I see this a lot with social entrepreneurs and people who are in the um, social and environmental space. They care so passionately about what they do that it, yeah. it can often have a very uh, negative effect ultimately, right? So, um, you know, I had a few, let's say, um, negative experiences and, I, and I'm trying to learn from that and, and look after myself. And you know, as the old saying goes, unless you care for yourself, you can't care for others, yeah. right? So that's what I'm trying to live by those words, um, by being here in the snow and working very hard, but also playing hard as well. Yeah, I'm big on your exercise bike because you are now. People are going, <laughs> he literally... sits sitting in a really weird way, that's why behind the scenes of Robin Lewis. Uh, this could yeah. be an entire yeah. podcast series. Uh, well, who's that guy who does like um, weird, coffee, like um, there's something in coffee in cars. Is it Seinfeld does those interview series and they comedians drinking coffee in cars? Have I just made that yeah. up? No, that sounds real. But there's so this there's be... someone called James Corden who does that. Oh, he does a, oh, yeah, no, carpool karaoke. Carpool karaoke, let's not do that now. Actually, I <laughs> tomorrow, <Yeah. laughs> Um, this is only for Japan, January 9th on, uh, this will be gone by the time that this is released, but, um, Joy Sound is releasing a free karaoke day on the Nintendo Switch. So that's our plan for stay home, stay yeah. emergency is to do Uchi de Karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't want Please to warm live up. Live stream. I will not be live streaming. <laughs> could be a way to get rid of any subscribers I have to my channel essentially <laughs> yes I will not I will not do that but you know it comes a year you haven't been to karaoke and you're like I just need to sing into a microphone so we're planning to you know you have to sing. get chips karage some you know fried chicken some edamame beans some beers turn the lights down It'll be a very spacious karaoke box in our living room compared to normal one. It won't have sort of sticky floors. So you could maybe create that, but, you know, to get that feeling again of the things that you love. That's and make cool. those like make the most of what, what we have. 
Um, I've totally got distracted from what I was talking about in my notes then. Karaoke, looking after yourself, health issues. I think that's very valuable to give as sort of, you know, a, a word of warning to people who are thinking about, you know, moving into especially like social innovation, social justice, like how you take care of yourself is also really important. And another thing Can regarding- I just say, there's one, oh, one phrase that I really love is, sorry, is, no. um, care is a discipline, not an indulgence. Self-care is a discipline, not an indulgence. And I really like that because it's not, it's not like you're taking time off. You're taking time off so that you can do 10 times more and so that you can be 10 times healthier and 10 times happier and 10 times better to the people around you. And um, so it's actually yeah. a discipline, right? And this is, mm. this for me was a major, uh, a game changer. I, I saw it and I'm going to just take some time off, but actually that time is critical to everything else that you do. Yeah. And, and anything around sort of creativity, getting new solutions is always talking about the idea of separating yourself from the problem, separating yourself from it and, and taking a different perspective and I've forgotten what the word is. I wrote a blog post about it because I was saying, um, I was doing uh, one of those, you know, uh, like escape room kind of things. And we were oh, totally cool. stuck. Yeah. It, was, it was the one they do around the Tokyo Metro. So it's sort of a puzzle thing. And we were so in it and we were like, there we're looking, looking. And we must've been 45 minutes. We couldn't get this clue. And then I went to the toilet and then I came back and I was like, I know what we're going to do. And I was right. That's like, kind of get the distance. Happen. But yeah. That's cool. <laughs> but it does take discipline. And there's quite a lot of culture of busyness, right? I think in Tokyo, like being busy is, is a badge of honor. And I think that's been a change. I've seen a lot yeah. of people this year go, oh, hang on, like having the break, having the rest, just being here now um, is really important. But you reminded me of another um, idea around Ikigai that there's a lot of a perspective that it needs to be something really positive. And I was very interested when I talked to um, Dr. Akihiro Hasegawa, who is an Ikigai researcher in Tokyo. And he said, you know, your Ikigai can be revenge. It can be, you know, <laughs> Count of Monte Cristo is an Ikigai novel. And I was talking about this with someone yesterday or earlier this week. And she was like, oh yeah, it's like in The Princess Bride, the guy, now I'm trying to remember all of the story of the Princess Bride, but if anyone knows it, he there's a, there's revenge. He has to try and kill this guy. Princess Bride fans, please don't be horrified by what I'm saying because they're very weak knowledge, but the people who know it will know it. And then it happens and he's like, what do I do with my life now? So my question to you on this is not, have you seen the Princess Bride? My question to you <laughs> is, <laughs> how, how do you feel your ikigai shifting through your life? like this area of kind of where, where you focus. Now I'm not, who knows when or where the plastic waste problem will be solved, but let's say it was, what would be next? Yeah, this is a really interesting question. I, I think <clears throat> I should really, again, be honest and, and say that until the age of about 20 or 21 or so, I, I don't think I really had a very strong sense of Ikigai. Mm. Um, and mm. I think only when I reached that age, 21, 22, I started to see um, what I was really passionate about uh, and what I really cared about. And so I've transitioned a lot from 
from originally I was in disasters, so I was really passionate about um, disasters and humanitarian issues, and then I switched over to climate change and plastic, and it has shifted. But I think it's all all of these different seemingly unconnected things are very connected by this mm. common thread that is um, for me social and environmental impact. So I mean that could be anything. You know, in five years' time, maybe I'll be doing something completely different. Right. Um, but ultimately, all of these challenges are interconnected. So. Um, again, I don't have a clear answer on that, but I think what what I was love to do and what what I enjoy doing the most is essentially creating positive um, energy and and working with people who really care about what they're doing in a fun way. It's so mm. easy, especially when you're working in in a in a very um, let's say challenging space like climate change is probably the biggest existential crisis that we face. Um, to keep you know keep your chin up, uh, have a good time. Um, but do good things at the same time. So right. uh, I think whatever happens, I'll hopefully continue um, on that, in that spirit, and then mm. just see where it goes. Yeah, I think that's what makes um, that my experience, sort of, you know, as a as a user of uh, of my Mizu and and seeing everything that you're you're putting out there, it doesn't. It's it's impactful, but without the guilt, or the shame, mm. or the or, you know, oh my God, what are we gonna do kind of thing? And I, I think that that approach, that's that's why it's resonated so well with people because it just, it makes it more approachable, easier to deal with. And do, do you think that comes from sort of your your energy and Mariko's sort of discussion about how you wanted to position it? Was it something that you said, okay, we're gonna go this way, just something which happened naturally? I think it's all of the above. Honestly, I mean, one one thing that we've we've tried to to be wary of is there are some really interesting studies out there that show um, that specifically, and this is mainly related to um, non-violent protests. But if three point five percent of the population takes part actively in a cause, then every time there has been a massive societal shift, right? And so it's called the 3.5% rule. If you can engage 3.5% of the population and then mobilize them towards a common goal, then in almost all cases that the movement, whatever it is, will succeed. And so what we're trying to do with MyMizu is really reach that 3.5% threshold that will then become the tipping point to all the societal change that we need to have um, when it comes to sustainability and, and sustainable living. Um, mm. When you do the maths, as they say, the population of Japan is what 128 million or something, and if you get four percent, three point five percent of that is something like between four and five million people, which is not mm. that much. I mean, we could do that, you know, if we just kept going, we're going to reach that that critical threshold, and then things will just kick off in a whole new level. So, to, in order to achieve that three point five percent, our belief is, or at least my belief and, and Michael's belief, is that you have to lead with a positive story. You have to tell the story and, and engage people and essentially you know answer the question why should i care right why should i mm. care about x y z and then then you can create this this movement we hope right that's wonderful yeah i think well i think you're doing an amazing job on it and uh you know i was looking on your website around your team and i had a question about um the wider team and so this yep. is kind of a, a structural um question so my understanding and correct me if i'm wrong is so so you and mariko are full-time employees of your your organization this is your day job but yes. for your wider team some of them are sort of ni mai meishi like they have they have two jobs or are they 
full time or how does it work? And the reason that I'm asking this around the Ikigai question is some people go, well, I can't necessarily follow what I really want to be doing right now. I don't see how I can like pay my rent if I follow that right now, but I really feel this desire to to give back or to do something. So volunteering or being involved in a different way is, is my calling is, is kind of the reason that I can do it. And then I can be a whatever, whatever from nine to five. And that's a great balance for me. So I'm interested in, in your volunteers and you don't need to name names and talk about the contracts, but uh, how it generally is working. That's a really, really great point. And what I'd say is structurally, so we have uh, currently four full-time uh, employees, four full-time staff, and then we have a number of part-time uh, staff as well. But then on top of that, we have interns, we have volunteers, we have pro bono people, we have all kinds of people. Um, and our, the team size is roughly uh, 25 or so. So mm. we have a great team, um, but as you say, many of them, those that are not part-time or full-time, are Nimaimeshi, as, as, mm. as you described it. And that means they're helping out uh, in the evenings, on the weekends, um, and some of them work for, you know, major Japanese corporations, some of them work for um, government, you know, all kinds of, of people um, are all united by this, this, uh, this mission that we're on. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say that that is such a valid way of giving back. You know, if everyone quit their jobs and tried to do something, you know, radically, uh, <laughs> you know, game, game changing in terms of like the saving the world or whatever you want to call it, then the society would fall apart, right? Because that's not how things work. We have to have people doing the jobs that they may, they may find very, very fulfilling. But if they don't, then yeah, of course, you can uh, volunteer or whatever on the weekends and the evenings. And that is just as big a way as, as to giving back as, as any other, I think. Great, yeah. I, I think one of the uh, sort of myths that I get about Ikigai is, oh, like I have to leave my corporate job and you know, yeah, join an NGO or an MPO and, and do good works to in order to feel a sense of purpose. And, and I always try to challenge that and say that there's actually many opportunities, you know, specifically in the area of sustainability. The of course, as an individual consumer, I can make a difference through my consumption and the client, you know, the companies that I work with and the companies products that I buy. But really, the biggest impact is from large corporations, right? in terms of uh, impact on climate. So if you're working for one of these large corporations, then your scale is totally different and the impact you can have is there. So I always challenge people around that, exactly. like, who do you work for, what do you do? You're smiling, so I'm preaching to the choir on this one. <laughs> no, but it's interesting that there's the, the term entrepreneur. Right? There's entrepreneur who does their mm. own thing, starts their own you know, business, whatever it is, and then there are entrepreneurs, right? And entrepreneurs are the people who create change within organizations. And, and as you say, if you're working at one of the biggest companies in the world and you make a tiny change, that scale, the net impact could be a hundred times bigger than anything that a small organization could do. So I, yeah, I always say this, start with your own organization, mm. see how you can change things in a positive way. Um, and then, you know, if you're still hungry to do more, maybe you know, enjoy, uh, volunteer on the weekends or, or be pro bono or whatever. Um, to give back more but yeah it's often you know the closest places where we can make the biggest impact yes I love that as a sort of yeah the the ikigai entrepreneur Phil there's another yeah, <laughs> another book there <laughs> I know a lot of <laughs> yeah and I've met so many of those, those people who work for huge organizations 
it really are genuinely passionate about driving change and, and it's been such that's one of the, the things that i love most about my my job my my day job my, my life work whatever you want to call it is that i get to meet all these incredible people who genuinely care and, and want to yeah. And you've, um, as an organization as well, done a lot with corporate partners too, right? We're getting some. Yes, uh, yeah, we're yeah. very fortunate to have some great uh, corporate partners who are uh, doing all kinds of things with, from uh, building new products to uh, doing campaigns to making cool videos. I mean, it's, it's been a real, uh, really fun journey with our corporate partners. That's awesome. Yeah, I love I love just your smile and energy and how you're kind of keeping on it. And also that you've said as well, though, sometimes enough is enough and I need to get out of Tokyo. And I need to look after myself and, and take those breaks. And I think that if people have those very strong callings that are around impacting social change, that's really like a huge takeaway for me from our conversation so far. So if there was someone who's listening to this says, I just want to be like Robin, he's awesome. Don't, don't, because be, be yourself, right? <laughs> Everyone else is already taken. Um, so, but you know, what sort of advice would, would you give them if they wanted to, they, they feel this kind of, yeah, they see a, they see a problem in the world and they want to go fix it. And it, and it's one uh, of those, you know, it just doesn't go away yeah yeah i think often the biggest disruptions the biggest changes that we see in society come from a sense of discomfort right mm. so and this kind of brings back to goes back to your original question about when you see something do you do something or do you do you you know kind of look at it and then walk away and i think in many cases i don't fault people for walking away it's, it's there's no problem with that at all um, but if that nagging feeling is in the back of your mind and, and you're really feeling a sense of discomfort, then there's, there's honestly, uh, in many cases, a very big opportunity to make something um, happen. Mm. So I would say if, if you have a problem that you really care about and it's just nagging, um, you know, take that first step. If it doesn't work out, then no problem. Just move on to the next thing uh, or, you know, pivot or whatever. And you never know where the world will take you. Mm. So the only way to get the nagging voice out of the head is to take some action. Yeah, okay. even if it's a tiny thing. You know, you, know, I, you, you uh, mentioned kind of keyboard activism, or online activism, whatever. We're all influencers in some way, right? We, we can be micro influencers, we can be major influencers, it doesn't matter, but we all have a sphere of influence. And so if we start telling people about X, Y, Z, you never know how big the impact will be and, and what the outcome will be from that. So. Um, there are so many things that we can do um, from today, from right now, uh, to make a bigger, to make a, a better society. Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. And, and what have been some of the, you talked about some of the difficulties that you'd had early on and, and sort of, you know, challenges along the way. How have you got over those challenges? Because, you know, many, many people face kind of similar things um when it's not going so well what have been uh mindset or habits or resources that you've used that help you to carry on yeah i, I would i should say again just to be open that i've had a lot of challenges and, and i don't by any means have it figured out but um a few things that have helped me have, have, have been basically things like meditation mm. i try and do five minutes a day which is nothing right i mean i have the 
the uh, attention span of a goldfish, but I can do five <laughs> minutes of meditation a day. Um, I try and again do exercise. Uh, I'm on my exercise bike as we speak. Um, <laughs> it's not got your washing so piled like, over it, which is amazing. <laughs> so I literally just took the washing off and brought oh. it. Anyway, um, <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you know it's good things, and and it's ultimately the the problem that I face and and um, I'm trying to fix is discipline, right? Five minutes of meditation, um, doing a, you know even ten minutes of exercise. Um, another thing that I try and do is journaling. So I, I write every morning um, three things that uh, I'm grateful for for the day before, um, mm. and just these tiny habits have made a huge difference. Uh, but again, I have a, a long way to go, so I'm still very much figuring things out as well. Right, but these these are small things. It's really interesting, you know the different people talking to about this kind of topic like these these same things are coming up like meditation and journaling and move my body and um maybe you know spending time with with people i care about like like these little things or what's uh you know you talked about you're going out snowboarding like these these hobbies that rejuvenate us and just make it kind of make life worth living really yeah yeah i'm currently really a book it's called time off and it's all about how time off inspires your creative side. Yeah. And I was recommended it. In fact, I was um, semi forced to read it by, by some of my team that you have to read this. And, um, it's, <laughs> and then it's they were, really please move to Nagano and leave us. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I what happened. But um, again, it's, it's, uh, it's a very, I find it's a very useful resource in helping to, to right. cultivate that mind that you know, rest is extremely important for anything that we do. Yes. I'm just googling it now time off oh no book mm. i think i i think i know this book yes yes it's by max yeah. max frenzel and uh maria suzuki yes. did the yes and john fitch there you go yes yes i think it's a very uh important as we were talking about the the cult of busyness before yeah yeah and so um Right at the beginning, you know, you talked about your your background of being uh, half British and half Japanese. And one of the things around Ikigai, you know, it's, it's really trendy in the English speaking world right now. Um, and I was wondering, you know, as uh, someone of half British, half Japanese descent, was this something you were raised with? Your parents talked to you about what is your Ikigai, Robin? Or not? <laughs> no, uh, not at all. Yeah. Not at I all. Mean, <laughs> I think I first came across the, the term Ikigai um, on LinkedIn or something, something really unexpected. And I, I remember thinking, what is this Ikigai? I, I'd kind of heard of it a few times um, in yeah. Japanese, but again, the, the meaning in Japanese and the meaning in English is, is kind of different. I mean, mm. I, it's kind of, you're much more knowledgeable than I am about this, but um, it was interesting. Yeah. Just oh, I'm really interested to hear like what, what your interpretation is of how, how you see the, the differences of, English, Romaji, Ikigai, and Ikigai. <laughs> That's a, honestly, I, this is kind of something I haven't really thought about, but Ikigai in Japanese is, is not really used that often. Right? I mean, it is in some cases, I, I think, but mm. in English is much more likely with, it's almost a management philosophy, right? Or like, no, no, it's to do more with business. Um, yeah. It's something that I had, that's my initial, um, thinking but what what about you what do you think no agreed agreed um you know the i, I mentioned uh, dr hasegawa before and mm. and he's talked about uh the the four-part diagram 
uh, that was designed on the back of a napkin by, um, oh, I've forgotten his name, Wynne. John Wynn, Jack Wynn. Oh, that's terrible. I can't remember his name. Mark Wynn. There we go, Mark. Sorry, Mark. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I did interview. Um, and what I love is, you know, he he took this idea. He'd heard about Ikigai and a purpose uh, Venn diagram. He sort of superimposed the two on the back of a napkin and shared it. And it went massive. It went viral. It became the source for the little, the, you know, book of Ikigai um, by uh, Hector Garcia. And so then that became what the English speaking world knows about Ikigai, not only the English speaking world, actually, like outside of Japan, let's say, sees as Ikigai. And then when you show this this Venn diagram, Japanese people go, what? And Hasegawa sounds like, when I first saw it, I thought it was really weird. Um, and I love the work that they do on the Ikigai tribe about this. They're like, this is not Ikigai. But my view is, it's, so it is an Ikigai. As, as generally Japanese people think about it. But as a, as a coaching model, is it a useful coaching model? Definitely. So let's try to think about what the, you know, authentic original meaning is, which is more about just the consciousness and the will to live and your understanding of why you're here, right? If we look really just at the kanji. And then maybe some of these questions about what do you love? What are you good at? What can you be paid for and what the world needs? Those are some pretty good questions to ask yourself when you're thinking about what's, why, why are you here in the world? And as we talked about earlier, you know, society functions in a certain way. So we do also need to have an income generally. Mm. Somebody has to have an income in the world <laughs> at some yeah. level. So. <laughs> That's really yeah. interesting. I, I remember I've, I've shared that graph a few times with students. I'm, I'm, I'm lucky to, to have opportunities to speak to a lot of students mm. at schools and universities. And generally, the response is really good. They're like, oh, wow. That's, if they haven't seen it, they're like, oh, that's a really interesting way of framing things. So yes. as you say, maybe it is a really powerful tool. It may not be 100% accurate in terms of the original Japanese meaning, but just to think about uh, various kind of components of your life. Right? So that, that's an interesting concept. Yes. Hmm. So I think it's it's useful to, you know, have have those two ideas and just be able to hold hold that paradox that it's not necessarily what your average you know Taro Suzuki in <laughs> Tokyo is going to be thinking about when you say ikigai, but everybody can look at this model and go, oh yeah, that's an interesting framing of it, and is it useful for me where I am now, where I'm feeling a bit stuck. I don't know, you know, what I want to be when I grow up or what do I want to do with my life when you're having those personal existential crises of just there's some there's something more and I can't work out what it is or one of the um, things about, you know, ikigai and aging is talking about um, how your ikigai changes with your role. Mm. So when you retire, right, we hear all these stories in Japan specifically if, you know, like men who retire and then suddenly like that's when their wife divorces them or yeah. that's when they don't know what to do with themselves because suddenly this reason for being your role like as the breadwinner or your role as the homemaker in a very traditional household that shifted so right. sort of you know that was my my question before about like what happens when plastic waste is solved like what's next <laughs> When you kill the six-fingered man, I think was it was in the Princess Bride. Like, what happens when this revenge is completed? What happens when your role shifted? Um, because my take on Ikigai is that as we have new experiences, new information, 
new roles in the in that we can see in the future, then our purpose is going to change. Like if you mm. hadn't walked along the beach on that day, this might not be where you are today. I might be selling plastic bottles. Yeah, you could be. <laughs> you never know, a sliding doors <laughs> moment, potentially, and the things which came from there. Yeah. So is there any um, final messages that you have for uh, listeners of Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai about yourself, advice, my Mizu, others, social innovation Japan? I would say, please uh, check us out online. Our, um, I believe our links will be shared somewhere. Yes. In the, yeah, you can also check out our stickers there that Jennifer's holding. Um, we have events, Beach Clean, um, as Social Innovation Japan, which is the, the nonprofit um, that I'm co-running. Uh, then we do lots of events uh, on things broadly related to social impact. From actually, we've done events on Ikigai all the way to um, gender equality and all kinds of things. So please uh, do check out our website and our social media, and I would love to stay in touch. Awesome. Thank you. And are you doing a lot of events online now so people can join as long as the time difference works for them? Obviously, the yes, beach yeah, clean requires the physical. The beach clean does require physical uh, attendees, but we are doing a lot of events online. Like starting this year, we're starting on Sunday, which is in a couple of days' time, but we'll be doing things at least once a month. So please Great. Yes. Back. Not entirely sure when I will release this, but we will <laughs> okay. find out. Yes, I was talking about karaoke tomorrow like it won't be tomorrow <laughs> awesome well thank you so much robin it was really great to talk to you and i wish you the best of luck with your new lifestyle in uh, nagano and so may you have smooth slopes and happy jumps thank you actually very that much. reminds thank me you. i love that you shared recently a video of you totally nailing a jump I believe that was you. Yes, I did yes. nail a snowboarding jump. Um, I'm just waiting for sponsors to get in touch with me, but there must be a problem with my email or something. Um, but yes, I am very untalented with snowboarding, but I'm trying to get better. Exactly. Maybe. And that's, that's <laughs> a, yeah, practice makes perfect. And I've really appreciated, you know, your vulnerability and sharing as well as the, uh, the amazing jump too. So thank you for the inspiration today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really Bye. appreciate it. Bye. Thank you so much for listening today. I really hope that you found something you could take away from the episode to help you find your own Ikigai and integrate it into your daily life. And I'd love to hear exactly what resonated with you. So pop over to see me on LinkedIn or on my Facebook page. You can find the links in the show notes below. And let me know what you thought was the most important takeaway from the podcast today. And sharing is caring. So feel free to share this episode with one of your friends who you think could benefit from hearing about living a life of purpose. Looking forward to see you on the next episode of Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai.